Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. For Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory, all with great warranties, fabulous pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a terrific service department that backs it all up every step of the way with great technicians, pros, pros. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. I watched the Olympics a couple of years ago, and we all know that Alyssa Nair got hurt, and then we eventually had Alyssa on the show, the goalkeeper, former Penn Stater. And when she went out of the lineup, you felt like the U.S.'s chance of getting to the gold medal game were crushed. And they have not seemed right uh, during that run in Tokyo to begin with, so a lot of people blamed it on the situation. But last I checked, everybody else going through it too. And they haven't seemed right in the World Cup despite all the hype and the hype and the hype and the hype. They beat Vietnam 3-0. Three, three and look, that can be circumstances, whatever it may be, but Netherlands beat Vietnam 7 nothing, and that tells you that's about what the U.S., if they matched the hype, would have done. 1-1 one, one at a rally to beat Netherlands, and then Portugal early this morning, a scoreless draw that gets them into the knockout round. But they have not been impressive in any way, shape, or form. And that is our play-by-play call of the day. Let's pass ahead. Headed forward. Look out there. A break. A shot. Off the post. As soon as this ball popped out for Capetta, and she was in behind the back line, we thought this was toast for the United States. This one pings right off the post. Alyssa Nair goes to ground. I don't think she gets anything on that. That's going to do it. Wow, is all we can say. And relief, but also disappointment for this U.S. team because that is not the response that they wanted to have in this third group match. I have never witnessed, and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk, I have never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You were lucky to not be going home right now. And not incorrect. It also puts them in a TV deal that is not favorable for a U.S. audience. They will play the Group G winner uh, coming up on Sunday. Or is it Monday? What's the sixth? Monday? Sunday. Right? Yeah, that's Sunday. Sixth, yeah. Sunday. At five AM. If they get to the quarterfinals, 
um, they will play at 3.30 in the morning on the 11th, Eastern Time. Now, if it's 3.30 Eastern Time, it's 12.30 in the morning on the West Coast. Um, and today's match was at 3 a.m. So I didn't see it. What? They did not. You watch Vietnam, the match with Vietnam, the, the pitch is tilted. Vietnam never got a shot. And the U.S. scored three, and they had multiple chances for more. Okay. Sometimes you can give fools gold. And when they played the Netherlands, I watched that match. The first half, the midfield was not good. Just wasn't good. And then in the second half, they adjusted. They were much better in the midfield, and then they eventually were able to get um, the header tied up at one. And I saw nothing of Portugal, but I didn't expect them to lose to Portugal. Now, maybe I thought they would not. I thought the possibility was going to be strong that on goal differential they would not win the group because Netherlands was playing Vietnam and it turned out they won 7 nothing. And uh, the uh, So I don't know. You know this is a, a, a team that is extremely hyped. Now it's the knockout stage. Can't afford many mistakes. We'll see. So what is the next rant on your list of WMC? Why Mona complain? Well, those two things were about all I've had, but again, the afternoon is still young, especially as the trade deadline nears. But I concur with everything you just said about the women's national team. Now, I had lower expectations than what people think. I didn't really quite get the hype train with this team because this team is not nearly as talented, and, and they're older than they were in the previous two World Cup winning teams, and even from the Olympics. But if there, if what Carly Lloyd's saying is true, and I do give her the benefit of the doubt in this case, because I I think she's genuine and, and she she knows the game well, obviously, then there's an issue with the with the with the U.S. coach. I never thought he was that great a coach to begin with. I thought he was one of those coaches that benefited from having a lot of talent, didn't really have to do much. I, I never really looked back and said, hey, that was a well-coached team. It's just the U.S. was really talented. Jill Ellis, on the other hand, she was a good coach. And I think the this team has missed her since she stepped down when they won the first World Cup in 2016, whatever that was. I don't think this guy's a great yeah. coach. Yeah, 15, yeah. Um that's just my two cents. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend. But like I said, yeah, I, I haven't seen I, a second I either know, for me I to judge how, effort one way or the other. 
I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know how good the opposition is. I mean, I pretty much assumed Vietnam being an upstart wasn't going to be that great. I assumed the Netherlands, since they were in the final against the U.S. in 19, still had a lot of quality players. And Portugal is always at least good in men's or women's soccer, so you assume that they'd be a better test than Vietnam. That's about the extent of it. Hey, I know something about the U.S. players. I mean, you know, Morgan and Smith and players like that, and, you know, Ertz, and obviously we've had Alyssa on the show. So, I mean, it's not like I, you know, don't know that. But early in matches, they have a tendency to swing for the fences. Instead of playing solid team ball, uh, and it hasn't been working out. The second half, you know, they're looking around saying, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't swing for the fences. Maybe we should like set some plays up." Okay, but you've already cut off half half the match because you're trying to take the big swing all the time and play hero ball. Well, you can't play hero ball. You can't do it. And. I feel like in the first half of, you know, when I've seen them play, when I've seen them play, I have felt like there's been in the first half too much hero ball. In the second half, better team effort. But they, you know, it's been a, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. But they're in the knockout round, so it's not like they're not there. They're going to the knockout round. All right, so it is being reported that George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, will be presenting a... uh, an outline of a TV deal for the Pac-9 to consider. So if that's the case, this becomes one of the make-or-break moments. And there have to be two elements in there to make sure it's um, make and not break. Element number one is the obvious one, the, the money part of it. Is the money at least comparable or at least to the neighborhood of the Big 12? And because of that, you know, we'll see. It's going to be hard to get there. And then number two, what's the linear versus streaming component in what he's proposing to get them to the financial number? If you were a coach, if you're a coach, you're Tommy Lloyd in basketball, you're Jed Fish in football, this is at Arizona. Are enough eyeballs going to be on your programs? We've talked about streaming being the future, but it's not the present. If it were the present, the NFL would have more than just Thursday Night Football on Amazon. And the first season, a success for Amazon with Thursday Night Football, 
But when they were talking to advertisers and in press conferences a year ago, their thought process was they could average around $12 million per game. Admirable. The reality is they had a really good opening season, but it was 9.7. And the point about the 9.7 is this, is that, number one, it's the NFL. And not even that was enough to get them to the level they thought they would get with streaming numbers. Linear is still the way to get the most eyeballs. And that's why when you look at the Big Ten contract, the Big Ten contract, Fox, CBS, NBC, eyeballs all over the place. And cable with BTN. The the streaming package is limited. Eight games total. Penn State, Delaware being one of them. 37 total for men's basketball. But the opening night of the Big Ten men's basketball tournament from Minneapolis this year will be on Peacock. The doubleheader will be on Peacock, not on BTN. But it's a limited streaming where, in other words, the NFL has dipped its Thursday night toe into the streaming water for 10 years. The Big Ten has dipped its toe into the streaming world for a limited number of football games and a limited number of basketball games. Nobody's gone all in, except for, for example, MLS. MLS has gone all in. It's Apple+. Plus. Everybody else that has gone into streaming dipped their toe. There'll be several Big 12 games, by the way, streamed on ESPN+. Plus. Now, what it's going to be like for the SEC, will there be some games on ESPN+, Plus when they get the full contract in 24? We'll see. Because you'll have ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network. You know, I'm sure ESPN+, Plus is going to carry some SEC games. All right. Lurking is the Big 12. They're trying to enhance their profiles. I pointed out yesterday, we give them credit for survival, but it is not a better conference than 10 years ago. Not a better conference than a dozen years ago. You go back a dozen years ago, I mean, again, the big, yeah, you have to use like some common sense and logic when you go about this stuff. The Big 12 has survived. But in the process of survival, they've lost Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado. They've replaced them with returning Colorado, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU. You're better? You're better. You're not better. You lost Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Nebraska. And you throw in Missouri. You lost them. You've replaced them. But no offense, it's it's Jalen Hurts going out and Gardner Minshew quarterbacking you the rest of the season. How do you feel now? How do you feel now, Matt, about your Super Bowl chances? No, señor! 
señor, no señor, no señor. Or Nate Sudfeld. He's an NFL quarterback, Nate Sudfeld. Does some things well, but he's not Jalen Hurts. Yeah, UCF plays good football. Houston plays good football, good basketball. And Cincinnati's good. But they don't have the brand power. That's not Texas A&M out there. Every single one of the schools I mentioned, if they were playing head-to-head with these teams, would all be the favorites. And not only that, they draw more eyeballs because of the names. The Big 12 has done a great job of surviving. But have they made themselves better? You've got Iowa State, West Virginia, Kansas, Kansas State, TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, Colorado, and UCF. Okay. That's good, but that's not earth-shattering. We're better off now over here in the back. Um, Are you sure? I mean, if you want on a whiteboard, I'll write down what you've lost and I'll write down what you've gained. And now we'll just have people just on visuals tell me as they look at the names on the left and the right if, if you're better. You survived, but you're not better. Come on. You survived, and I give you great credit for survival. But the conference is not in the same realm, both brand-wise and performance-wise, than what the SEC the Big Ten happen to be. That's why the Big Ten and the SEC have gigantic contracts, and the Big 12 contract is less than half of that. There's a reason. Now, is the Big 12 a better landing spot for some Pac-12 schools? Possibly. And again, there's a seamlessness to it. Colorado is not going to have to pay an exit fee. Colorado is not have doesn't have to deal with a grant of rights issue. Just like USC and UCLA don't in going to the Big Ten. That's what makes it an easy move. So today when they're presented with their TV deal, should it be presented today? Two things. What are the financial numbers? And what's the percentage of linear versus streaming? Because coaches need to know eyeballs as well as money. They have to recruit. Come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. The broadcast team for the NBA on ESPN... It looks like Mark Jackson is out, and it appears that Doris Burke and uh, Doc Rivers might be the ones working with Mike Breen. It's a big move. It's a big move. So no Jeff Van Gundy or Mark Jackson in a package that is the third most valuable to ESPN, second most expensive Third most valuable 
because I think the college football playoffs a little more valuable, especially with the expanded playoff to twelve. Um, but this package means a lot to them. So Mike Breen, Doris Burke, who's worked their way to this point, and Doc Rivers. I know how much you've been aching to hear from Doc Rivers. <laughs> What's well, nothing to do with Doc Rivers himself? But I just, I still just don't get what ESPN's doing. I mean, I, I don't see how you can justify still having a three-man booth for the NBA when you just got rid of two out of the three from your supposed cuts to save money. To me, if, if you, I, I figured this would be the case. It would just be Mike Breen and Doris Burke. Then you can justify that because you're kind of cutting things down a little bit. But just then out of bringing Doc Rivers again, that doesn't make sense. For just from a personnel money standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia. Roots 11 and 15, almost worth online, sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory, all with great warranties. Great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a terrific service department that backs it all up every step of the way at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. We've learned over the years that Tuesdays with Neil is special. Welcome, sir. Special indeed. As usual, thank you for having me. Right, so here we are in, in training camp, which is always it's different now than it was ten years ago, twenty years ago. The way training camp is conducted now, which has a lot of rules in it from the CBA, and there's 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 by the way common sense and logic as to how they do it. But what does that mean, in your opinion, Neil, to the opening month of the regular season as to how we should view it, as opposed to October, November, December? I think in, in a lot of ways. And fans might not like this a whole lot, but in a lot of ways, football is like the, the ultimate hidden game. Uh, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of aspects to it that fans won't readily see. Um, it, it's incredibly detailed and incredibly nuanced. And the reason this thing happens or that thing happens is usually the, the result of a lot of things that you aren't aware of that creates almost a separate game, ones that fans are watching and the ones that the players are playing and that the coaches are, are uh, kind of lording over. Training camp is, in my opinion, the, the largest example of that. Um, I've noticed, and this wasn't all that big of a thing 15 years ago, but every beat reporter is keeping staffs now. Yeah. Um, it, to me, that that's always kind of seemed, uh, you know, not ironic, but it, it, it's not. It doesn't fit. There's no point in keeping stats in a game you're not playing. 
Um, right. If you, you want to see how many times the guy caught the ball after the quarterback threw it, okay. I mean, I, I guess, but it's not like there's an individual goal that they have. And if you were to ask them, they're going to say, well, my goal, I guess, is to complete every pass that I throw. And I probably won't do that every day. So it, it's, it creates the, you know, do we want to go as far as saying it's a false impression? You know, it, it, we don't know with, with good insight really how well a player is doing or not doing. Now, there are highlights. There are fun things like that that we'll see. Sure. Um, most teams within the last maybe 48 hours have broken out the pads. You're starting to play, you know, football a little bit more realistically uh, than what you did before. But we don't need to know, you know, how many passes – Trey Lance completed in, in practice in, in, in shorts. It really doesn't right. show anything. They're not even doing those drills based on real situations. They're practicing different things. Um, and oftentimes the throw itself, as crazy as the seems, um, is not the purpose of the drill itself. You know, if they're moving their feet around, if they want to get him into different spots and get him used to where he needs to release the ball, uh, as, as a, you know, for for the sake of his body positioning, as opposed to trying to actually complete the pass, it's not like he's being evaluated based on that. It's how he's conducting uh, the drill that they're giving him. And for you know, most times we're not going to know the exact purpose of what they're doing, short of we're familiar with this drill and this is what they're trying to do with it. It's just it, it's not a result based activity and. I, I think we get caught up in the idea that statistics rule everything. Therefore, <laughs> player A is beating player B because he has better statistics in training camp when nothing that they're doing um, is right. the activity on which you're used to yeah. uh, accumulating statistics for. So it, it, right. most of the time it's like, well, it, we really can't tell. You know, I'm not saying that the preseason games are a great indication, but – you can get a better sense of a player performing in that environment because, you know, that is the environment. It's not training camp. Training camp is learning what they're trying to do, uh, putting it together. They're competing. I'm not saying that they don't evaluate mm -hmm. that, but they're looking at how they're doing it much more than the results of what they're asking yeah. them to do. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, obviously, the hundreds of practices that I've watched in the course of my career, and I don't care if it's football or basketball, I've never once even mentally kept stats in my mind. Never. It's always about what am I seeing quality-wise? What about the block on that play? Did the guy run the route right? Was the ball delivered in a spot where he can get yards after the catch? Did the defensive back break on the ball? Was the DB too passive on it? Uh, sometimes you'll see a play where the protection's perfect, the quarterback's perfect, puts it right on the money, and the DB breaks it up, and you sit around and you look around, you know what, every single person on that play did something right. Exactly. Right? I mean, that, yep. that to me, that's that. I'm looking for things like that. I'm not sitting there looking like, I'll give you the two Penn State quarterbacks. Drew Allen was 9 of 15 in practice today for 150 yards, and Bo Perbula was 10 of 20 today in the practice for 212 yards. I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm not. I don't look at it that way. I'm looking at quality of play of drill, and then what happens when it's good on good. Yeah, that that's that is the opposite of result based thinking. You know, it's about the execution of the play. What if, and just to, to to piggyback off your example, what if they ran that play the play before? 
you know, the defensive back knows exactly what's going to happen. Yep. He breaks on the ball mm-hmm. like he's supposed to and makes the play. Did, did somebody win or lose that rep? No, not really. It, it, no. They're doing what they're supposed to do. It's not like right. anybody failed. You know, the ball went where it's supposed to go. The guy runs a good route. There's protection up front, but there's some pressure. So the defensive line did something. Right. They're getting yep. live reps. It's about the practice of the play itself, not the result of it. You know, that that's less than important. And I just, I'm, I'm thinking back. I, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, I used this picture uh, in my, my social media profile just because it's really funny. The AP photographer really liked the picture, but he told me, to my face he couldn't use it because of the contrast of the, the whiteness of me uh in the background of the picture threw it all off but I, yeah. i'm sitting i'm standing there watching um a steelers receiver and defensive back at, at training camp and uh it, it's it's tightly contested the ball's falling right into the receiver's hand uh it's a really great shot i just happened to be in the background ruining the whole thing apparently <laughs> um he did, he did send me the picture though so i i was i was happy to have ruined the rep for for the players yeah. um it, after it, it as it turns out you don't you don't see this in the picture amazingly the, the receiver dropped the ball it fell right into mm-hmm. a perfect path fell into his hands but he, he dropped it it happened um i wrote a story about it because mike tomlin went screaming up the sideline praising the receiver for what he did yep and yeah. the story was explaining why he was praising him. And it was because they were working on something. Um, it was a go route. He went down the sideline. The receiver was instructed to try to hold your hands back until the last second when the ball comes down. The idea calls it quiet hands. The idea being yeah. don't show the defensive back that the ball is coming because the defensive back can't see it when it's over his head like that. And, right. yeah, I mean, from what I remember of it, he did exactly that. His hands came up really late, probably a little too fast, and bounced off. But Tomlin was praising him the entire time because he did what he was supposed to do. How many mm-hmm. times is he going to drop that pass? That's really right. the thing. And this is where you go to work on it. If he does it the right way, he's going to drop it far less often than if he does it the wrong way, the receiver's right there to, to knock it out. So it's, it's a drill. He's designed uh, to get work on these kinds of things. So when they're in the moment, he has that experience and he has that confidence. Not about the fact that he drops the pass and of course that's what everybody focuses right. on because you're used to seeing it and you know you can't blame him but at the same time this is what's fun about Mike Tomlin he did what he did exactly why he did that for, for that reason he wanted people to know there's more to this than just that and he kind of reveals little things here and there and I, I really enjoyed it to a point where if I'm, I'm really going to puff myself up with pride it almost felt like he would do that around me because he knew that I would I would write about it. So right. I, in that particular case, I did. Uh, that's really what training camp is about. I mean, I'm not trying to exclude the fam from the process or act like they're they're you know know nothing or anything like that. It's just Don't there know. are way more things that happen than people uh, will realize up front. And in my opinion, journalists should try to find those things as opposed to adding up you know the, the yardage stats makes me laugh the most probably because they always yeah. put an asterisk by it uh, assumed like yeah we we know it's assumed yardage you know i mean obviously yeah. you're, you're running you're running seven on seven drills in shells there's no yardage to be gained it's, right. it's not even it's, it's not real you know yeah. the steelers do something called seven shots which is basically seven consecutive uh two-point conversion attempts right and they what they count is a win for the defense versus a win for the offense. That's competitive. You know, that that's a simulated environment. That's real. 
um, there's something to score for that. And you can, with that, you can say this guy threw the touchdown pass, this guy had the interception, but it's not like cumulative stats matter for something like that. It's, it's not, I know. It, it shouldn't be viewed as that kind of, of success or failure. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I think that's after a while when you're there all the time, you get a feel for it. And again, that's that opaque word, but it's something that, like for example, I mean, Jack Ham, as we all know, has a tremendous feel for what's going on. We we aren't standing there going, I think Aller is uh, seven of eight passing. It's like (laughs) there's a drill, there's a purpose, there's certain plays that you're running that you got to run. You want to see how it works, how it's protected. And if it's not done right over and over again, you eliminate it from the book. (laughs) There's things like that that happen. I want to ask you about the the thing that might not even be about the quarterback. Right, exactly. Exactly right. You're exactly right. I don't get what Sean Payton was doing this week. This is a guy that's won a Super Bowl. He's securing himself. And you know, nobody's going to sit here and say Nathaniel Hackett's the greatest coach since Lombardi. I got it. But I didn't understand the need to take a shot. I, I think um, and perhaps you have been guilty of this in your career once or twice. I, I Standing here in front of you, I know that I have. I, I think he... Uh, he might have taken the, the the media hat and put it back on for a brief second. I mean, it's the thing with Sean Payton is he, he's so sharp, he's so witty and clever. He really is fun to listen to. Um, he went over the line, not in dishonesty, but in uh, it really, you know, kind of glorifying an outright failure of somebody else. That, as as you alluded to, um, to a certain point can't be overstated I, I i time will tell time always does time always does tell with coaching uh success and failure i don't know if we have seen a better example of a complete and total head coaching failure than nathaniel hackett last week sure no i, I agree i don't need sean payton to tell me that i'm aware right sean yep. payton though needs to know you got to take your foot off the throat okay i mean it's it's, yep. it's already dead stop flogging the the expired equine. You know, there, there's no point in uh, reveling in it anymore. But at the same time, you can kind of hear it in his voice. He, he's he's having fun. He's still on the Fox set. Um, yeah. he, he, you know, definitely a mistake on his part. I thought he owned up to that the, the way that he should. Yeah. Um, it's not that big of a deal. And when you have to get, you know, snooty, pompous Aaron Rodgers involved and get him to defend Nathaniel Hackett and all the wonderful success that Rodgers, I guess, thought that he had last season. Um, he, he's going to stick up for his coordinator. Now the coordinator is speaking to right. the media about it. it all sure. of this is just like, okay, you know, we, we should have taken the cue from the beginning. Everyone can kind of say, you know what, that, that's a stupid thing for him to, to have said. Let's move on. Um, I say that as somebody that oversaw, you know, several posts being written about the topic. So I, I admit the, the hypocrisy that I'm putting out right now. People will talk about it uh, because it's pretty easy to talk about. It, it's a it's a professional mistake on Peyton's part, and I think you know with big machinery comes big exhaust, and that's kind of the exhaust that Sean Payton gives off. He he really is big on the soundbite. He likes to hear himself talk. Mm-hmm. And 
He yeah. does a good job of it. You know, he's a really quote. Yeah. He, he's a quotational guy, as, as a former boss of mine would say. Uh, he really, um, he, he can dive into the point pretty well, and he can make it very entertaining. And I think um, he, you know, he, he's been in in studio for what a year and a half, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. He's used to that, not being you know the the more buttoned up, more refined coach that he kind of was kind of wasn't in new orleans but uh yeah. he acknowledges the stake right away as first true opportunity that he had to do it and I'm, I'm sure he will you know take that to, to the degree that he needs to beyond this but yeah definitely not something you want your head coach going around talking about i also thought of for him he probably felt this was a way of backing up wilson russell wilson uh in some way because uh, now that's his quarterback but it's like eh. I I think the media's done a good job of telling everybody that uh, the moment was too big for Nathaniel Hackett. I think Nathaniel Hackett did a great job proving that on his own, and he really didn't need yes. Sean Payton uh, no. to sign off on it. Exactly. Um, I I don't want to you know I don't want to dismiss the point here. That's what's kind of funny because. <laughs> Nobody's disputing what he said at all. Um, the, right. the timing of it is really bad. The the, uh, the stage in which he used uh, to say it was really bad. You can you can fairly be called out like he yeah. was by a, a, a former Broncos player that he's setting the stage in case it doesn't work in Denver right away. Right. He's got yeah. his scapegoat. <laughs> right. um, you don't want that kind of criticism hanging over your head. Obviously, he doesn't want to fail right. either. He, you know, he, he's there to succeed. He's getting paid twenty million dollars. Uh, to turn around uh, the, the disaster that was the Broncos last season. You don't want people thinking that you're saying something so you can make an excuse for your failure. Now, I'm not saying the Broncos are going to win 13 games and, and Russ is going to be an MVP, but right. they can probably do better than what they did last year. You know, <laughs> The body lying on the ground can't run away. It's, they're not going to get a whole lot worse than what they were. Um, at the same time, though, yes, you need to show some support uh, for the guy that you have, you know, and he feels mm-hmm. that that's Russell Wilson. Um, I would say Russell Wilson's being paid plenty uh, to yeah. assume that confidence. The fact that he wasn't benched, uh, the fact that they kept him for a year or two and all but yeah. six quarterbacks in the NFL at his age um, wouldn't would not have gotten a year or two out of this. Um, mm-hmm. To back him up, I think he could have been a little bit more direct and a little less smarmy Sean Payton about the whole thing. <laughs> Just sort of said, you know what? They had a rough yeah. year. We see that we're we're going to improve. We're going to we're going to work past it. But uh, at the same time, as as a you know as, as a media member, I I really enjoy what he said because it made my job a lot easier for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, no question. Not only that, I think that Week Five game between the uh, Jets and the Broncos has a little more juice to it. It does, and it'll be fun. I I uh, I. I am ironically not looking forward to writing about all of this then. <laughs> right, yes, happen. right, exactly. Uh, both yeah. of them will have sit-down interviews, and they'll go over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We'll rehash it all. And, but, blah, you know, blah. at the same time, that, that uh, stuff that, that hypes up the game, I think, is always good. I, I enjoy yeah. a little pop and circumstance leading into things like that. My friend, always a pleasure. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Justin Verlander has been dealt by the New York Mets. He has been reacquired by the Houston Astros. Oh, my almighty!
Uh, you play the Astros this weekend, don't you? Correct. Hmm. I thought Glasnow looked great last night. Yeah, not bad. What? Maybe gave up two hits too many. How many did he give up? Three? Okay. Not bad. <laughs> and by the way, on the one walk, I was watching when Judge walked. That was a strike. Like, I'm sitting there like going, you got to be kidding me. Pitch was a strike. Should have struck out. I'm still getting my head wrapped around of what, what exactly the case was with Domingo Harmon last night. So that that's just where we are right now with this team. Well, Verlander is now an Astro. So there you go. He's gone back to Houston. No Scherzer. No Verlander. But that's okay. It's not a fire sale. <laughs> yeah, I... The only thing I want to know, you know, because we know, you know, they're getting rid of players, is how much money they're giving the teams to take them. Texas got a lot of money to take Scherzer. So we will come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. So Justin Verlander goes back to the Astros. Training camp for Penn State football begins tomorrow. Alex Kazor joins us from Steelers camp tomorrow. More complaining from Matt. America loves your complaining. I'm sure there'll be something. I mean, you're already, like, percolating to a boil now. And we still got 22 hours to go to the next show.